Hey, I want to welcome you to Mount Olive Church. So glad you joined us today. We've been in a series and we're continuing in a series entitled How to Deal with Imperfect People. And guaranteed, if you are human and you live in the world, there's some people around you that are, just aren't all that perfect. And sometimes you wonder, how do I deal with them? And there's obviously some things we'd like to do to deal with them. But in this series, uh, we've noticed and we've been seeing that uh, the person that we're to deal with is the one person that we've actually been made responsible for and the one person that we have some sense of control over. And that imperfect person is me. The person that we're called to deal with is the imperfect person that's right here, and that's me. And this is so true in what we're going to talk about today as well. Now, there is an inescapable reality for each of us, for each of us, that we will all experience pain, and we will experience injustice, and we will experience offense at the hand of someone else. At some point in your life, it's probably already happened. Someone has wronged you. Someone has sinned against you. Maybe that person was the very person that was supposed to care for you and show you love and they let you down. Maybe it was a complete stranger. Maybe it was a small offense and maybe it was massive. But undoubtedly, you can take it to the bank. You will experience offense and pain at the hands of others. And the question becomes, what do we do with the pain? What do we do with the offense, which we did not choose, but it was chosen for us? And there's a number of different ways that we can respond, but really, if you boil it down and if you really simplify it, there's kind of really just two. Two responses as to what we do with the pain and the hurt that we did not choose, but others chose for us. And the first one, and this is simplifying, I know. The first one is we can choose to hold on. We can hold on to the debt that's been incurred, the indebtedness of others, the pain and the hurt. We can carry it around. Or second option, we can let it go. We can let go of the pain. Maybe a better way uh, to say it is we can choose to forgive. Now let's look at both these two. Uh, obviously option one, hold on. It doesn't take very long to realize that's just a bad option, right? I mean, to, to carry the weight of what others have done and, and the offense, to carry that around, I mean, that's just a recipe to self-destruct, right? And here's the interesting thing about those of us who choose this, it does often cause us to self-destruct. You know, what we do with what others have done may actually be more destructive than their destructive behavior against us. And this is a tough reality that we must all face that oftentimes, and we want to blame all of our pain on others, but oftentimes the way we respond to the pain that's been uh, 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 acted out against us is actually more destructive than the initial offense. And we start to self-destruct as we carry. And one of the ways we do this as it relates to the offenses that others have uh, 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 done against us is by uh, turning bitter. We become so bitter and so filled with this, this need to gain vengeance and revenge, it can begin to eat us from the inside out. And we all know, you know, the old saying, you know this, bitterness is the pill we take hoping others will die, right? It's like, we know it doesn't make sense and that so often we choose this. And the reason we choose this is because we want them to what? We want them to pay. 
We want them to pay. They caused us pain. They should experience some pain. And so our only, because we can only control ourselves, we can't control them. So we can only control ourselves. So we choose bitterness and, and this unforgiveness as a way to create pain for them. But here's, here's, here's the interesting thing, and you know this because you've experienced this. Isn't it true that often as we kind of wallow in our bitterness and anger at them, they just continue on with their merry lives and don't give one second thought to us? And it just drives us even more angry, right? It's like, you should be feeling some pain. And so we know this is, this is not a good option. But why is it so often that we choose this option as our first option? I think one of the reasons is because we have this sense that they don't deserve our forgiveness. Maybe to say it another way, they deserve justice. They deserve some pain because they've caused me pain. And so they don't deserve forgiveness because they should begin to pay. And there's actually some logical and some even godly heart behind this, but the way we go about it is just self-destructive. Here's the thing about deserving forgiveness. Who of us actually ever deserves forgiveness? I mean, the very fact that forgiveness is needed means that the person doesn't deserve it. Because when is forgiveness needed? So when someone sinned, when someone caused an offense, no one deserves forgiveness when they caused an offense. So our desire to kind of, they, they don't deserve it, it's, it's kind of true. Because none of us deserve forgiveness. The other thing about this, they don't deserve forgiveness, oftentimes we're like, well, we know they don't deserve logically, Pastor. I know they don't deserve forgiveness. But what I mean is they aren't sorry. They haven't repented. They don't feel any remorse. And if someone is sorry or has repented or feels some remorse, then they deserve forgiveness a little more than the other person. And I want to tell you today that's not true. Because forgiveness is not based on the other person. Forgiveness is actually based on us, the forgiver. We're going to talk about that today. The other reason we say they don't deserve forgiveness is this idea of justice. And I think we have a, a misunderstanding of justice and forgiveness. And we have this idea that justice and forgiveness cannot coexist. And so if I forgive them, does that mean they just will never face justice? And if I choose justice, does that mean I chose not to forgive them? And the answer is that's not true. Justice and forgiveness can coexist, and we're going to talk about that today. So the two options are, we already saw the first option is not really any good. The second option is to forgive. <laughs> Let's be, is there a third option? Because that one doesn't seem all that good either, right? It's like, that's just hard. Well, today we're going to talk about that second option, forgive. And what we're going to see is not only is it the best option, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's actually the only option. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you can listen. Everything's optional for you. You can kind of pick and choose and I'll try that. I don't want to try that. I encourage you to try this for free, okay? I think it's going to be better for you because I think and I hope you're going to see that this is the best option. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not required to do any of this. But for those of us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm a child of God, it's no longer optional. Actually, it's no longer optional for us. So what is forgiveness? Why would we want to do it? And how could we ever, as we think of the harm and the uh, and, the, and the sin that people have caused against me, how could I ever walk down that path? 
Well, to find this out, we're going to look at some words that Paul, the apostle, wrote in Colossians chapter 3. And here's what the apostle wrote. He didn't start with forgiveness. He starts somewhere else. Here's what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Notice Paul doesn't start with behavior. He actually starts with identity. Our behavior flows out of our identity. And Paul is going to say, and he's going to say, here's some things that you need to take on as a follower of Jesus and some things that you need to do, but these do not earn you into a relationship with God. These are an outcome because you are a child of God. Identity is what flows into behavior and because this is who you are. Now let me describe for, for you some ways that you are now called to live as a child of your heavenly Father. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In essence, he just gives a list of five character traits. You're going to need to do life with imperfect people, right? Oh yeah, I'm going to need a whole boatload of compassion to do life with that person. And kindness and gentleness and humility. And I don't, I'm not even going to try patience, right? I mean, they, right? In essence, that's what he says. If you're going to live with imperfect people, and we all do, you're going to need this. But you're not just going to need this. He goes on. And he says, and bear with each other. And we did a whole message on this one idea, right? Bear is put up under the weight of the annoyances and mistakes and failings of others. This isn't sin things. This is just, you're so annoying, but I'm going to put up under the weight of your annoyance and your difference for me. I'm going to make some space. So we bear with one another, but what about when they sin against us and when they've wronged us and caused all kinds of pain? And Paul says, here's the seventh trait. He did the five and the one, and now he says this. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and you know what a grievance is, right? You've had grievances against others who have harmed you or sinned or offended you. And Paul says, as those people who have brought pain upon you, we are called to forgive those grievances. But here's the thing about grievances, and I think Paul's talking about both. There are real grievances that we have against others, real things that they actually did, and then we have perceived grievances. And here's the thing, real and perceived grievances feel exactly the same. And because forgiveness is something that's in our space, on on our side, it's our responsibility, how we deal with grievances, whether they are real or perceived, is pretty much the same. The the journey of forgiveness is the same. And oftentimes we can't tell the difference between a real and a perceived grievance because they feel so much the same. Let me give you an example. Let's go back a couple of years to the the height of the tension of COVID, okay? We're gonna go there. Uh, So the height of the tension and the topic is vaccines. Now I have one particular view in this Uh, story on vaccines, and you have a polar opposite view on vaccines. You and I have never met to have a confrontation or a discussion on our views on vaccines, but you read some things that I posted, some things that I posted about, you know, maybe where I stand on vaccines, and when you read them, you immediately felt a tension in our relationship, even though we never talked about it. This is the beauty of social media, just so you know, right? We have all kinds of tensions with people we never met, and we don't have a relationship with. So we have a tension and we've never even talked about this. Well, one day you show up at church and you go to the same church I go to and guess who you see the moment you walk in the doors? You see that guy, 
me, right? And immediately what happens to your heart, it starts to pick up some beats, right, per minute, and you start to feel this tension, but it's Sunday, and you're at church, and you're going to be the bigger person, so you decide, I'm just going to smile and acknowledge and wave at Elvin. Well, at the moment you acknowledge me with a smile and a wave, I look the other way. And in that moment, you have felt a grievance. But the question is, is it real or is it perceived? You feel slighted and our relationship has in some ways even felt broken to you because you think I don't care about you and I'm against you. But the question is, is it a real or is it a perceived grievance? In fact, in that moment, you don't actually know, do you? That feels the same, but you actually don't know. Possibly, it is a real grievance and I hate you. And I just decided the moment you waved, I was going to look the other way. And it was real. But also quite possibly, also quite possibly, the moment you acknowledged and waved, when you came in, I was looking your direction, but I was not looking at you. And the moment you acknowledged with a wave and a smile, something came to mind and I simply turned to attend to it with no slight at you in mind. But here's the question. What are you going to do with that? You're going to deal with it the exact same way because forgiveness is something that's on each of us. It's not dependent on the other. And so Paul says, bear with each other and forgive any grievance, whether real or perceived. It happened. You just think it happened. Forgive. Well, how and why would I forgive? And Paul answers those two questions with this revolutionary, transformative statement. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. In essence, Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, you're simply going to do what's been done for you. And it's been said at all the imperatives in the New Testament, all the commands in the New Testament, every imperative is simply a response to what has been done for us. We are only commanded to do that which has been done for us. God never asks us to do something that we have not already received from him. And he says, because you've received that kind of grace, that kind of mercy, that kind of forgiveness, forgive others. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In fact, this is so transformative and so revolutionary. I want us to say it out loud together. If you're online watching right now, I want you to say it out loud, okay? One, two, three. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how has the Lord forgiven us? Paul actually speaks this little phrase in response to something Jesus taught, the exact same thing, but Jesus loved to teach in story and parable. And this idea, forgive as the Lord forgave you comes from something Jesus taught some 20 to 30 years before Paul wrote this. And it's a story. And the story goes this way. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, just so you know, 10,000 bags of gold, when Jesus told this story, this is an astronomical amount. This guy could not pay this debt if he lived a hundred lifetimes. It is unimaginably high. Well, since he was not able to pay, and everyone in the crowd's like, duh, 
The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had sold uh, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And everyone started to laugh as they heard the story. (laughs) It's impossible. That's what they're thinking, right? This is not possible. Not with a hundred lives. Well, the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and let him go. If you want to know how Jesus defines forgiveness, here's how he defines it. Canceled debt. You owe me because of what you did wrong against me. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. Now, if we were just learning about God's forgiveness of us, because this is what Jesus is saying, right? The master, the king, is like your heavenly father. And the servant who owed this debt with which he could not pay with a hundred lives is you and I. We could not pay the debt that we have accumulated before our heavenly father. And God in his mercy and grace has canceled our debt by paying for it with his son's blood on the cross. Wow. And that would be the end of the story. But that's not the end of the teaching, is it? Because the teaching is this. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And Jesus continues on with the story. But when that servant who'd just been forgiven, when he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a hundred silver coins, this was like a couple months wages, a few thousand dollars. When he found him, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. And he actually could have. but he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. I mean, they just saw this huge debt being, and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had, and let's say it together, mercy, did you not receive something from me? I don't, I don't expect you to do what hasn't been done for you, but I do expect you to do what has been done for you. And shouldn't you have given what you received? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owned, which he couldn't have done with a hundred lives. And then Jesus sums up the entire teaching by saying this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. In essence, he says, we are only commanded to do that which has been done for us. And so Paul, some 20, 30 years later, says, forgive. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. But this is hard because this is costly. See, forgiveness is costly for the one who chooses to forgive. Go back to the story. That king, when he decided to forgive, to cancel the debt of the servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, who paid for his lost gold? He did. 
That act of forgiveness costed him. He ate the debt that someone else had incurred with him. And this is why forgiveness, we, we choose bitterness because they don't deserve, they already caused me pain. And now I'm gonna eat the pain and not force them to pay me back? But this is forgiveness. Forgiveness always costs, and it always costs the one who forgives because forgiveness is canceling debt. And this is why the, second, the, the first servant who had just been forgiven and he finds his fellow servant and he was not willing to forgive because he was not willing to eat the debt, he would lose by canceling the debt, small as it was in comparison. He would lose because he would have to eat the debt. And this is what makes forgiveness so challenging. And this is why as we forgive, it is so important that we actually calculate debt. I think sometimes we don't forgive well because we don't do this well. See, to truly forgive, we need to calculate and acknowledge the size of the debt that's been done to us. Otherwise, what are you actually forgiving? See, our tendency, and often I think this is to minimize pain, we've already experienced pain, and we don't wanna dive into what this has actually cost us. We don't wanna calculate and acknowledge the size of a debt. So we things like, say things like, you know, someone sins against us, we're like, oh, it's no biggie, no big deal. I'm all right, right? It's just like water off a duck's back. And we don't take the time and the energy to calculate because that is a whole new level of pain. But the question is, if you just kind of forgive and you never calculate, what are you actually forgiving? Have you actually forgiven? Do you even know what you're forgiving? And so there is this time and this process to forgiveness, which is why also when we ask someone to forgive us, we can't expect them just to do it on the spot because they need to calculate so that they understand what are they actually forgiving because you have brought pain and debt into that relationship. Truly, to truly forgive, we need to calculate and acknowledge the size of the debt. And that means that forgiveness is much more a journey than it is a one-time event. It's not something we do once and we're like, I guess I'm done forgiving. Because here's the deal, as you continue to journey through life, sometimes you don't know all of what that sin will cost you. And 10 and 20 and 30 years later, it continues to bring death into your life, difficulty and pain. And you need to forgive all over again. In this sense, forgiveness is a, is a journey. It's, it's more like a posture we take a posture we take, then it is a one-time event that we do. So if this is forgiveness and it's this hard and it's this costly, why would any of us want to do this? I told you, is there a third option? We want the third option. There's gotta be another option. One word, if I could sum it into one word, I would say we want to do this and you, this is the best option because of freedom. And this is where Paul goes next. He goes on and says, after he gives the five characteristics, right, that we're gonna need and the bear, which is the sixth, and then the seventh, forgive. He says, and all over all these virtues, these seven things I just talked about, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And here's the outcome. And let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And let the peace of Christ, this is both a command, something we actively do, but it's also the, we are recipients of. Peace is something we are called to do, but it is also something we are recipients of. That's why he says, let this happen to you. How do we let this happen? By being aggressive with forgiveness. When we begin to forgive others, peace will begin to come to us. And not only peace, we will become more thankful. I guarantee you, you don't know people who live with the supreme need to be repaid who are grateful people. We don't know people who carry on bitterness and anger and this need to have be repaid and there's the sin to be undone who have a great deal of peace. These are both commands, but they're also outcomes as we live in forgiveness, which means this, when you forgive, you win too. See, oftentimes we get this idea, and it's not true, that if I forgive, the other person wins, and I'm the loser. And that is not true. When you and I choose to forgive, yes, the other person wins. They don't have to pay back what they owe you. But you and I also win as the person who chooses forgiveness. But this leaves some questions, and I want to deal with these questions fairly quickly. And you may have some of these questions as you think about forgiveness in your specific situation. Regarding some questions. If I forgive, does, this, does the other person never have to face the consequences of their actions? We're going to talk about that. If I forgive, do I need to be best friends with the person who wronged me? Does forgiveness mean that they have an endless amount of second chances? We're going to talk about that. And lastly, does forgiveness mean forgetting? I'm going to start with this one and we'll work back the other way. Does forgiveness mean forgetting? We, we get this idea of forgive and forget and it's kind of catchy and it's memorable so we think it's true. It's not, okay? We also have Bible verses that we think make this true and they're not true. So where do we get this idea that we should forgive and forget. I think it comes from a passage in both the Old Testament, uh, Testament and Jeremiah and also Hebrews quotes this, which says this, and this is God speaking, where God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So does this mean that God practices some sort of divine spiritual amnesia where he just forgets all our sins? No, because if that were true, we would know some things God doesn't know, right? I mean, there's all kinds of sin talked about in the Bible. God wouldn't know much of the Bible, right? It's like, no, God knows. He remembers. What does he mean when he says, and he remembers their sin no more? What God is saying is this, not that he forgets in the sense he can't recall, but that he no longer looks at us through the lens of our offense, that we are no longer treated in light of what we have done wrong against him. And when he calls us to forgive, it is not to forget because that could lead us to foolish living. And we're going to talk about that. But rather, it is to no longer look at the person who offended us through the lens of what they did. And it's no longer to treat them in light of what they've done. Okay, next question. If I forgive, does the other person never have to face the consequences of their actions? This comes back to something I brought up earlier in regards to can forgiveness and justice coexist? And I want to say, yes, they can. And this comes out 
This comes out of some, uh, a story of God forgiving one of the most famous kings in ancient Israel, King David. And you know maybe the story of David and Bathsheba, if you don't. David saw this lady who was married to his friend, uh, who was very beautiful, and he fell in love with her, and then he slept with her while his friend was fighting his battle uh, uh, away from home. So to cover up his sin, he brought his friend back and uh, tried to, you know, have them be together, David, uh, this, this friend and Bathsheba, they were husband and wife to have them be together, and then uh, everything would be covered up when she uh, would have the baby because she was found to be pregnant. Well, it didn't work out, and so David had his friend killed in battle so he could marry her, and that would cover up the offense he had committed of adultery. And he thought he got away with it. And God comes to David through a prophet named Nathan, And he said to David, you've sinned. And this was David's response. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David confessed his sin. He owned all of it. And God said this, and this is amazing because God always responds this way. And the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. If we confess our sin, he will forgive us. But does this mean that David would not experience any consequences for his sin? God had forgiven him, right? Well, he would experience consequences. In fact, what we read next is this. But God said, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And it gets even worse. He goes on to say that uh, what David did in private would be done in public as a disgrace to his family. He goes on to say that the sword will never leave your house, which would affect something else that David wanted to do, and that was build a temple for God. He lost all of that because of one decision. God forgave him. He did not die for his sin, which he should have, but the consequences of his sin were not all removed. And if we're going to forgive like our heavenly father has forgiven us, and he does forgive us, but when we are forgiven, sometimes we still have to wade through the consequences of our sin. And that means if we're going to forgive like our heavenly father has forgiven us, we may forgive the debt that someone owes us, all the while allowing the judicial system to bring about the justice that is deserved them. And that does not mean you have not forgiven them. It simply means you have taken justice out of your own hands. And sometimes the judicial system does not do it right, and you think they need more justice. And in these cases, we are called to leave justice to God, as Paul wrote. He said, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In essence, he says, justice is God's territory. Leave that to God. But forgiveness, that's your space. That's your territory. And you are called to forgive. Last set of questions. If I forgive, do I need to be best friends or re-engage in the relationship the same it was before with the person who wronged me? And does forgiveness mean that they have an endless amount of second chances? And the answer to this is yes and no and kinda. I know. The reason this one's challenging is because this is differentiating two words that we often think are the same but they're mostly close related, but they are not the same. And it's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And let me describe for you some of the differences so you understand 
what these differences are. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation always takes two or more. Forgiveness is a me issue. That's why I call it, it doesn't matter how the person responds, whether they are sorry or not. Forgiveness is on the person forgiving. It's a one person issue. Reconciliation is not something we can do alone. It is a two person issue. And sometimes we, we think forgiveness is reconciliation and it is not the same. See, forgiveness is not the end as a follower of Jesus. Rather, forgiveness is a means to an end. The end is actually reconciliation. The heart of the gospel is not forgiveness. The heart of the gospel is you have an opportunity to be reconciled to your heavenly father. Now you need forgiveness to get there, but it is not the end. It's a means to an end. The end goal is reconciliation. And if we're gonna forgive like our heavenly father has forgiven us, and this takes forgiveness way further than most of us are comfortable See, many of us, we want to forgive simply to let go so we don't destroy ourselves with bitterness, but we have no intention of reconciling. But if we're going to forgive like God has forgiven us, then forgiveness becomes a doorway. It is not reconciliation, but it becomes a doorway that can lead to reconciliation. Let me describe it with an analogy. Uh, Imagine a city with a moat around it. And on your city, there's all kinds of bridges to people to the outside world. The city is you. It's your inner life. It's you. And to every relationship you have, there is both a door and a bridge to that person, and that allows them into your inner life. When someone sins against you or when someone wrongs you, the relationship with you have is broken, and so is the bridge that gives them access to your life. The relationship has been broken. And oftentimes at this moment, we feel both necessary, we feel it's necessary to close the door on that relationship. And this is is often necessary for, for protection. But that closed door to the relationship can quickly become the door of unforgiveness. And what Jesus has called us to is to be those people who are willing to crack open the door of forgiveness. It does not mean that we are reconciled, but it does mean that we are opening up the opportunity to reconcile. See, here's the thing about reconciliation. The two main ingredients to reconciliation are repentance and forgiveness. And if someone repents, but the other is not willing to forgive, there can be no reconciliation. And if one person is willing to forgive, but the other person is not willing to repent, there can be no reconciliation. But when I talk about repentance, repentance is fruit-backed repentance, which takes time to build. And when someone breaks a relationship with you because of sin, the bridge that they have access to your life has been broken. Forgiveness is opening the door But repentance is the long journey across the bridge to rebuild the bridge of trust before you let them back in. And this is an important distinction. And depending on how how much they sinned against you, how great the offense was, that bridge may be torn down more and more and it will take longer to rebuild because all relationships are built on trust. And trust can only be rebuilt through time. And this, in fact, is the gospel. See, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, 
to pay the penalty of our sin. And he offers forgiveness to all. The door of forgiveness has been opened, but that does not mean that everyone has been reconciled to God. See, for us to be reconciled, we have to receive forgiveness, which is repentance. That's why Jesus said repent. John the Baptist said repent. It's repentance, which is belief in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we repent, receiving what God has done to forgive, then we are reconciled back into relationship with God. And we, if we are gonna forgive like our heavenly father has forgiven us, will forgive in this way. But as I said, this will take it far further than many of us are willing to go. But if we're gonna forgive as the Lord forgave you, it will include cracking the door open with those who have harmed you. So here's a question I wanna leave with you as you consider your life. Is there someone for whom you have closed the door of forgiveness? And I'm not talking reconciliation. I'm saying you've closed the door and you are not even willing to cancel the debt. Is there someone for whom you have closed the door of forgiveness? And as I talk about forgiveness with this idea in mind that it might possibly lead to a renewed relationship, there is something in you that says, never over my dead body, I cannot even crack that door open because the pain is so great. And if you're stuck in unforgiveness, I wanna offer two ideas of how we can get unstuck. And this comes from some writings from Larry Osborne that I think is really, really helpful for those of us who are stuck in unforgiveness. And the first is, is to pray a prayer, but it's not a prayer to ask God to help you forgive. It's way before that. He calls it a prayer of permission. This is saying, God, I'm not praying that you help me to forgive them. I'm simply praying, Father, I give you permission to change my heart. Because my heart's nowhere near there. And I don't think I can get there. But I simply surrender my heart to you. And I give you permission to begin to change me from the inside. A second one, and this one will sound a little strange, is to do a sin walk. Larry Osborne calls it a sin walk. It's not a walk on the wild side, okay? Um, but a sin walk is, it comes from the story Jesus told about the man who'd been uh, uh, forgiven a great debt and then was not willing to forgive the other. It's this idea of calculating the debt that we have accumulated with our Heavenly Father. And maybe you do it, you know, in a time of silence. Maybe you go for a walk, but in essence, you just think back to every sin you have ever committed before God and before others, not for the purpose of self-condemnation, but to recalculate the great debt that your Heavenly Father has forgiven you. And as you consider that, and I think the servant did not do this, which is why he was not able or willing to forgive a fellow servant who had a smaller debt. When we do that, it may begin not to make us feel like, oh, I need to forgive this person, but it begins to inspire us to say, if God has done that for me, then I can pass that on to others. So is there someone for whom you have closed the door of forgiveness and what would it look like for you to begin to crack the door open and if you're not there to simply begin to pray a prayer of permission saying God I'm not there but I give you I give you authority 
to begin to change my heart. As we close, I want to give you a few uh, seconds to do some internal prayer. And maybe that's the prayer you pray. As you consider, is there someone that I'm not willing to crack the door open as it relates to forgiveness? And then I will close in prayer and we'll pray together the Lord's Prayer, okay? So take a few seconds and, and just do some business with God. Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your great love. That you forgave us a debt we could not pay with a hundred lives. And Father, as a response, we want to say, would you please help us? There are some debts that we're having a real hard time letting go of. We need your help. Would you give us the grace to simply give what has been given to us? And let's pray together. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, I'll have it on the screen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace of the Lord. You're dismissed.